0: Wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate but take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. Gene Roddenberry, writing to the Writers Guild of America. I'm writing this on a MacBook Air that someone gave to me. I'm sitting at a built in plastic surface extending not three feet beyond the wall of the trailer in which I live, in a massive backyard in California. There is marijuana on the other side of the screen on this little table. To my right is my soda, safely situated on the kitchen counter, so if it spills, we avoid catastrophe, yet easily in reach of my right arm. I'm here because a couple of kids I taught 30-some-odd years ago decided it wasn't cool for their old teacher to spend so much time thinking about being homeless. The trailer in which I'm writing belongs to them. So does the property on which it sits. Pete Fountain just finished playing Lady Be Good. Asia, who had precisely one good album and only a few songs on it that were worth hearing, just began telling me that. Only time will tell. I like that. I have two dogs who compete for cuddling rights. Thor currently leads Mira by a score of two to nothing. Will it always be so? Check with Asia. This morning, a chicken hopped onto the extra chair on my newly minted front porch "'and up to the table on which my drink was sitting. "'I asked him politely and lovingly to depart. "'He complied with my request. "'In fifty-eight years I've never had such an experience. "'I learned today that roosters don't crow only at sunrise "'since it was nearly ten in the morning.' and the chicken's companion sounded like an overly enthusiastic cheerleader supporting a football team that just made their first touchdown of the year in the last quarter of the last game of the season. He clearly wanted me to know his opinion about his companion's conquest. I understood it. At least, I think I did. I met a pig. I believe her name is Lady, but... Please rely on my dwindling memory for precisely nothing. It certainly isn't Old Major or Snowball. She has opinions that are worth sharing with you because they are a point of view I have never considered. Lady, when I have smoked enough marijuana, tells me that the value of corporations is that they protect local businesses and they provide the funds To assist the outliers who mean so much to me. She presents compelling, but not entirely irrefutable, arguments to support her opinions. She is sometimes too enthusiastic for an old autistic man to handle. That requires more marijuana. Shortly afterward, I'm sufficiently lost that I don't bother to argue anymore. Lady and I are likely to converse much more in the coming days. My liberal arguments, she tells me, if one adds something called crumble to my bowl of flowers, are based on appeals to emotion. Appeals to emotion are, in Lady's view, logical fallacies. In my view, appeals to emotion are a part of pathos. Pathos is defined in several ways, but for our purposes, we will use the term to mean a communication technique to be used along with ethos and logos. Essentially, the three together are appeals to emotions, ethics, and logic. Ethics are for me the character or guiding beliefs that make up an ideology, a community, or a nation. Logos is the logical argument used to persuade an audience. I do my best to make use of all three when I present my ideas to you. I don't apologize for this. It's a classic tradition. And even if it weren't, I believe a writer is entitled to use any tools in his kit to create catharsis. If catharsis is the creation of emotion, which is my highest objective, then it is appropriate for me to appeal to emotion when necessary. As much as I embrace Vulcan philosophy, we exist so we can feel things. To feel nothing is to be, essentially, dead. Small
1: things.
0: I like small things. I live in the smallest place I've ever inhabited, and I find it lovely. My fiction is almost always made up of the small moments behind the physical drama. The people in whom I have the most interest are always those who, like me, are in the minority for reasons that aren't universally recognized, but for being, in small but important ways, different. These are among the outliers. To understand the outliers, think of a bell curve. We have very few people on the far left side. The curve rises and at its center are the greatest number of people. The curve descends and we have very few people on the far right side. In general, those on the far left side of the bell curve are the least successful. This is true whether the graph is measuring test scores, life expectancies, wealth, or nearly anything else you wish to count. Those on the far right side are the most successful. I want to advocate for the outliers on the far left side, who can afford no advocacy of their own. But I also want the outliers on the far right side to have what they need to live lives they find meaningful and satisfying. Greatness is easy to recognize among the outliers on the far right side. Bill Gates donated more than $50 billion to charities. J.K. Rowling forfeited her billionaire status to donate more than $160 million to charity and said, You have a moral responsibility when you've been given far more than you need to do wise things with it and give intelligently. Those are 10-second Google searches, and then only if the Internet on your phone isn't much good. I've included the links nevertheless. I'm grateful to many, but not all, of the outliers on the far right side. I don't think, however, that they need my help. Their value is well known and frequently discussed. The outliers on the far left side need many more voices. I am one soft voice in that chorus, singing for those society has deemed unsuccessful. It's easy to speak for the majority. Most of the world is created to service the needs of the majority. There are fewer people to speak for Dr. Seuss's Who's. The argument against the outliers is that, because they made choices that don't meet with the approval of the majority, they are to be ignored. Many of us, for example, are choosing not to be vaccinated. The argument goes, then, that if we choose not to get vaccinated, which is what the majority believes to be the right thing to do, if we get COVID, we should either get no more medical care or we should pay more for it. Some part of the majority are willing to make exceptions for those who cannot get vaccinated for medical reasons. And this is where the slippery slope begins. If we grant one exception, we can grant another. Perhaps it wasn't medical reasons that kept someone from getting vaccinated. Maybe all the information they heard and read, from whatever sources they found, made them sincerely believe it was the wrong thing to do. There are many pundits who will tell you that the vaccine is a bad idea. It's a form of government control. Chips are being added to the vaccine, so you can be tracked. These are not novel arguments. There may be any number of reasons a person doesn't get the vaccine. While I disagree with this choice, I recognize that I don't get to choose for others. The majority of the majority seems to believe, however, that the majority should not bear the responsibility for poor choices made by the outliers. The attitude is, essentially, I earned mine through hard work and good choices. If you didn't do that, then I owe you nothing. You're on your own. For me, however, the majority are equally as important as the outliers. The outliers are also human beings. If we can help them to survive, we will have other outliers. Some of them may make extraordinary contributions to the world. Some of them them may do nothing except live, love, and try to find their way way through the world. They all matter. The world has, has, as the majority majority likes to point out, Changed in the past 200,000 years. It changes faster. It changes faster and more drastically progresses. as technology progresses. There was a time when the, the outliers make had their the option
1: in the to make their own lives the in the wilderness, or the vast that made up open
0: spaces. The world that made up The world before. Property. Now, property. if they have no home in the traditional now, sense, there are no few places they the can even occupy sense. without permission. There are few places they can even occupy without permission the world, the world is, now, is owned now owned by the majority the, majority the outliers the have, the outliers very, have little. very little of it if, if they, they don't, don't wish to become, become the what the majority wants them, wants them to be they will be without the, basic needs, the basic needs for survival the, the outliers once included of more than half of the species women had few women rights, had few rights. Black people Black people had even fewer. Because of the voices of their advocates, this has begun to change. change. More change is necessary. My concern concern will always be those for whom the majority has such contempt. If civilization collapses because we can't ensure all our citizens can survive, the civilization deserves to be gone. It is ineffective at its most essential function, to provide for the well-being of all its members. It does very well at providing for the majority, and it is to be applauded for us. The world is, in general, healthier, happier, richer, more intelligent, and safer than it has been in recorded history. We can debate the causes of this, but one of them is undoubtedly human advancement. We have learned to do better. We are doing better. If the price of this success is that a smaller minority than ever is doomed to misery or early death, that's a bargain. As Mr. Spock tells us, the needs needs of the many 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 outweigh outweigh the the needs needs of 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 the few. Kodos, the executioner in the Star Trek episode, The Conscience of the King, executed the minority so there would be sufficient food to feed the majority. Whether he is a monster or a hero depends upon one's point of view. But here's the thing. The few, the minority, and the outliers are also human beings. They live. They breathe, they laugh, they love, they cry, and they pee and poop, just like you and I. Like us, the outliers will be on this planet for a very brief time. Few get more than a century. Thus far, no one has gotten two. I'm told, however, that our medical science is progressing so well that the person has already been born, who will live more than 200 years. Again, we are doing well and we can do better. As long as there is brutal poverty and homelessness, we have not achieved as much success as necessary. If the outlier is your son or daughter, you will have different feelings about them. This is because you know them better and you care more deeply about them. Your empathy for someone close to you is greater than it is for a stranger. It must be this way so we can survive. If you felt empathy for everyone who suffers, you would be overwhelmed to the point you would wind up in a fetal position, suffering from a depression that would make Sisyphus's day look positively sunny in comparison. That sort of misses the point of being alive. I would like for as many people as possible to enjoy the rare experience of living. When I bring you the story of a particular outlier, I am attempting to engage your empathy so that I can convince you to support leaders whose intentions are to help this particular outlier. This could be someone who is transgender. It could be a drug addict. It could be an old man who finally got the dog in the fenced backyard. Thank you, by the way, to the people who did this for me. You know who you are. It could be the woman who worked her whole life and nevertheless can't make ends meet. It could be the man who lost his daughter to diabetes because he couldn't afford her insulin anymore. It could be the married couple working two jobs apiece in an effort to pay their rent and afford childcare for their two sons and a daughter. My argument for supporting these people is also a logical one, however. It turns out that it's economically better to help them before they become too sick to assist, or their situations turn so dark that they become criminals. Emergency rooms and prisons are expensive. Intervention costs much less. Obviously, emergency rooms and prisons are essential. But if we can reduce their populations, we save money and we have happier people as an added benefit. The Commonwealth Fund tells us, quote, While Medicare for all captures the most attention, a comparison of the reform proposals reveals that their approaches to achieving universal coverage are far more nuanced than this term would suggest. Single-payer, meanwhile, is generally used to describe how other wealthy countries organize their health system. But a closer look similarly shows a wider variety of approaches than this catch-all term implies. Other high-income nations manage to ensure all their residents and spend less per capita than the U.S., But some of them do that by covering everyone through a regulated system of health plans, while others truly have a single public plan for everyone. The link is in the show notes. I don't pretend to know the best way to overcome all of our problems. I'm not an economist or sociologist. What I know is that we can do better at helping the outliers. As the last remaining animal commandment, written by the pigs, tells us, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. George Orwell, Animal Farm. I disagreed when I first read it in high school. I continue to disagree 40 years later. The Outliers This show is written, produced, scored, and whorist by outliers. We are not members of the majority. One of us is a homosexual. Both of us are somewhere on both the autism and atheism spectrums. Both of us are poor. And both of us are alive because people help us. One of us is disabled. To dismiss the outliers as insignificant is not only to dismiss Fred's front porch, but independent artists around the world. While art provides little of, quote, practical value, it helps give our lives meaning, our hearts hope, and our souls solace. It is a means of connecting ourselves to one another. It helps us to understand the injustice of the outlier Tom Robinson being convicted of a rape he obviously and demonstrably did not commit. It allows us to admire and loathe simultaneously the outlier Don Vito Corleone for his commitment to family and hard work, and his horrifying methods of honoring those commitments. It's the joy in the musical ode of the outlier Beethoven, whose music existed independently of his ability to hear it, and the wonder in the works of the penniless outlier Van Gogh, who sold only a single painting in his lifetime. I'm all in favor of the good we have done for the majority. It has made all our lives better than they have been throughout all recorded history. On the front porch though, I speak for the little voiceless people. I advocate a decent life for everyone, and I eschew the idea that we have any right to tell anyone so long as they're not hurting anyone else, how to live. I don't know, and neither does anyone else, the entirety of someone's life. What we do know is they are alive, and they have that same spark of divine fire to be found in all of us. Preserving knowledge is easy. Transferring knowledge is also easy, but making new knowledge is neither easy nor profitable in the short term. Fundamental research proves profitable in the long run, and, as importantly, it is a force that enriches the culture of any society with reason and basic truth. Ahmed Zawali, winner of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, 1999. Each of us is our own unique star, shimmering dimly in the distant heavens. The more stars we can see, the more knowledge we can obtain. I would like every star to have its chance to shine. This means you whether we agree about anything or not. This means all the people you love, and it means all the people you hate. We are unlike stars, however, because our lives are so brief. Let's put aside our feelings of disdain for those who are different from us, and let's see how the outliers shine with the rest of us.
1: Vitamins and history books Psychology and a different way to look at it all Cause my perspective is broken If suffering's a way to earn your I better stop putting miles on my feet, yeah. but I'm so tired of wandering. Yeah. by now pain would be my friend I know that this comfort was a means to an end but I'm lying, But Live-
0: Epic gratitude. I know it seems like this is a one-person show, but that really isn't true. Yes, you usually hear only my voice, except on those occasions I get to do a theater piece and I can recruit people to play some roles. From time to time, you hear the voices of someone I interview. You got to hear the internationally known artist Sarah Nimitz a few weeks ago. You've heard from time to time Jenner's voice. I have interviewed a few other people, but almost all the rest is just my voice. This might produce the illusion that it's all me. It's not. There are so many people who work to bring this show to you. First, I hope we are now welcoming Jenner Zeno as our weekly producer. When there's an episode you love more than others, there's a good chance that Jenner had his hands on the board, getting that premium sound and perfect catharsis. I produce most of them myself, and I am not as good as he is. It takes me five or six times as long as it does for him. He has much more experience, and he knows how to get sounds I don't. He's been busy doing many other projects, but he wants to leave those and focus on making this show sound as good as it can. So, I hope you will be hearing much more of his work. Second, this show is the product of the people who support it in any way. Some of you listen and you comment, or sometimes you share the show, and in that way, you give me the feeling that I'm not singing an aria in an empty cave without that the rest of it doesn't matter because i can't do this if i don't think anyone is listening you matter others helping get named fairly frequently and i'm going to name them proudly again in just a few minutes they don't just listen which is vital but they help pay my rent they're saying my work is to be taken seriously enough to invest what they can in it how much more can an artist want finally This show is the product of all of the art and people I encounter. The most obvious example is Sarah Nimitz's Shine, a song you should go buy on Bandcamp because it's amazing and you should support Sarah. I end most of the episodes with a reference to us shining because I believe it's what we all do in our endlessly different ways. Sarah writes and performs music. Chuck sings and plays trumpet. John sings and plays bass. And those are just the professional artists. They make a living at it. Those who don't do art for money are shining in their ways, too. They're working hard to make the world better for someone else in some way or other. A few of you changed the lives of children and made the world more beautiful in the contributions those kids made to the world. So... Shine is the most obvious example, but the work of Aaron Sorkin, Harper Lee, Bud Schulberg, Snuffy Walden, Mario Puzo, Steven Spielberg, David Gerald, Gene Roddenberry, Scott Santins, Mark Twain, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, and dozens of others have contributed to this show. Finally, these are the people who make sure I stay alive long enough to produce another episode. Hermione Granger, Edith Keeler, and Coralie Day with Scott Knight are at the producer level. I'm grateful that they choose to help so much. Between them, they keep my internet on so I can upload the next episode. Thank you, folks. Sherlock, the mystery patron, is my biggest supporter on the patron level. My other patrons are Mandy, Barbara Hauser, Kevin Boyce, and Joe March. Between the five of them, my phone keeps working so I can find out what's happening in the world. One of these people can actually make my phone ring. There are only three such people on the planet. My champion sponsor is Lena Miller from the Hard Truth Podcast. My other sponsors are Mike Cooper, the eminent Sarah Nimitz fan, who also got me a tripod I will use when I attend the next concert so the videos look better. Thanks, Mike. Phil Parkman is the sponsor who drove me around Groveland to get me to the show. Judy Morris is the sponsor who helped me to become a better teacher when we worked together. Chris Donnelly is the sponsor who helped bring my musical to life so many years ago. Corey Pluard brought his own music to life and he lit my world with it. Claude Burt Lansden is the sponsor who makes me consider other ideas. Jesse Rogers expands on UBI thoughts. Virginia Rupert is a good friend from the old hashtag coffee days. Scott Shelby is a Sarah fan with a great sense of humor. Mark Rosma is the best writer I have ever met in person. Laura Engram is a compassionate activist. Natalie is an entrepreneur who helps the show reach a larger audience from time to time. We went to high school together. Elizabeth Bennett is a sponsor who has helped me out of more difficult situations than I care to admit. Zara is a private man whose ideas always make me rethink my own. My supporters are Cindy Mandel, who helped me to learn to be a better teacher near the beginning of my career. Amos Stewart is a Facebook friend always makes me smile. Michelle Sylvester is among the most dedicated teachers I've ever known, and she's the brilliant artist who created our logo. Marley Maple Miracle has managed to keep her identity secret from me, but she helps us in every way she can. Carrie Dedeo is a brilliant writer who has a published novel of her own and helped me to improve my own writing. Ursula Phillips is a Facebook friend and former colleague whose positive attitude always makes me feel better. Pavel Shabayev is among the most intellectual of my Facebook friends. Sarah Nimitz is an internationally acclaimed singer and songwriter, as well as a talented actress and a good friend. John G. is the best bass player I've ever met personally. Christine L. Patterson is among the most caring people I know. Chuck Curry is the best trumpet player I've ever met. No, I've never met mine, Davis. Corey is a former podcaster and is now running a vast empire I don't understand, but I know it's doing a lot of good for a lot of people. And Jereen is the most dedicated actress I've ever had the honor to call a member of my cast, as well as being an accomplished musician in her own right. My anchor supporters help out just as much. Our anchor chief supporter is Zara, whose political mind is sharper than mine. Daniel H. is something of a futurist who is always looking for another way to improve the world. Piper K. Young is among the kindest women I have ever known, and she is very private, so that's all you get to know about her. A.A. Milne is a philanthropist. John Donovan is a friend from high school who has one of the sharpest wits I've encountered in recent years. Stacy Height is a kind and compassionate woman with excellent taste in music and a great sense of humor. And you already know how much I think of both Cindy and Corey, who appear in both categories. Now you know a little about the massive group of people who come together to bring you Fred's Front Porch. Without every one of these people, The show just couldn't happen. And I like to believe you're as grateful to them as I am. Thank you for being a friend. And thank you for helping us all to shine.